Hello and welcome to another episode of Movie Bollocks. Um, I am trying to keep the movie podcast coming thick and fast. I'm filled in without any guests doing a couple of those um, viewers' guides things. But um, back with genuine guests this time. Um, but first, let's let's get stuck into some reviews right off the bat. Um, uh, a few, uh, uh, you know, not as much movie watching going on now now things are getting busier etc but i will still do my bit so first up is the map of tiny perfect things now i think i found this on um on netflix i can't be massively sure but i'm, I'm pretty sure um so it stars Catherine newton and kyle allen and i really really enjoyed it now it is one of those movies that if you look at it I mean, I'm a 51-year-old guy, right? So really, I probably shouldn't be watching movies like this and shouldn't be enjoying them. But I've always liked this kind of stuff. But it is very much kind of targeted at a at a younger audience. And let's face it, um, you know, most people are younger than me these days. Oh, I'm so old. Anyway, um, I'm not going to tell you it's IMDb rating because fuck that shit. It's just other people's opinions. Just like this. This is another person's opinion. But I really enjoyed it. Bearing in mind that it is one of these movies and the premise is that someone is stuck in the same day. Now, if that's your kind of thing, you'll be all over this. If it's not your kind of thing, I would suggest give this a go anyway. Um, because it does some interesting things with it. It keeps it moving. Really enjoyed, really enjoyed the two lead performances. They were absolutely superb. There is some big laughs in it as well. It is a genuine... I mean, you can watch this with family. You can watch this with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your wife, with your husband. It, and and I've, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And one hour, 38 minutes, it's not overstaying his welcome. And that's that's the key to any movie like this, especially when they're doing, you know, a big old well-known trope like stuck in the same day bullshit. Um, they've brought something to the party. They've brought something to the table. And why not? It's actually, it's a 12, by the way, as well. Fuck it. Get your kids watching it really enjoyed it really enjoyed it had a nice heart about it now total opposite is nomadland that's right nomadland is the oscar winning um well it, it is it won the oscar for best movie last year i really fucked that up really didn't it it's the oscar winning movie with an oscar no that doesn't work so um, the premise is, a woman in her 60s, after losing everything in a great recession, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a um, van-dwelling modern-day nomad. And it's called Nomadland. And, dear listener, I made it 25 minutes into this. And, basically, I was getting nothing back. Now, I am, you know, I always say, if a movie's won an Oscar, I'll give it a shot. Because invariably they're not shit you know shit movies tend not to get they can not be your thing but it's rare i obviously having only seen 25 minutes of this i am not going to review it okay because that would be fucking ridiculous because there's a you know there, there's a whole chunk of film that i haven't seen so yeah it's one hour 47 minutes so there's an hour and a half of movie there that i haven't seen i was about 25 30 minutes in but it was just doing nothing for me. It, it, I just felt like I was watching a documentary, uh, except without a voiceover giving you any kind of 
buy-in or um, perspective of what was happening in front of you. And basically, what I was watching was um, uh, an old woman who was poor that other people were trying to help, but she clearly didn't feel she needed the help as much as they felt the need to help her. And she was going from one job to another and living in a van. And and I was just like half an hour in, I was just like, yeah, this is really earthy. It, it, it was just, it just wasn't cinematic. It was just a documentary. Now I'm well aware that later on in the movie, there's, it's, it's apparently, you know, there's some stunning um, cinematography and, and loads of people are, are loving this movie. And I, I'm just not one of them. Okay. But, I may well give it a go again another time um, because I want to get something out of it. I really do. And I'm, I'm missing out at the moment. I'm, I'm aware of that. And I was watching with it. I was watching it with somebody else who also said, yeah, let's let's sack it off. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, it's better when you're on your own and you're thinking and there's no one else to turn to. And you think, oh, no, I'll just sod it. I'll just keep going that little bit longer. I couldn't. I really, really couldn't, I'm afraid. It was just, yeah, it just wasn't up to the job for me. Um, but hey, maybe it was the mood I was in, but it wasn't working. Anyway, Spent I've spent long enough on a movie I watched 25 minutes of. Next up is Believe Me, The Abduction of Lisa McVeigh. Now, it sounds like a very kind of cheesy title. Um, and, and I mean, it's it's anything but cheesy as a movie um it's from 2018 i think it this was also netflix if not amazon prime um this film uh i found to be quite quite affecting um a young lady goes through a horrific ordeal and then very few people believe her and as the viewer you know it happened and you feel the frustration you get frustrated on her behalf um and you know you just want you want somebody to believe her you want somebody to say oh right yeah and and it's it is it's harrowing what is even more harrowing is that this is a true story and i'm not going to tell you all the ins and outs of it because that would be unfair um and as it unravels, it is one of those stories where you just go, wow, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. Um, all I can say is that Lisa McVeigh is an absolute fucking hero. An absolute hero. When you see what she went through, how everything, fit, how everything um, ties up, how it all comes together, how everybody is affected. It is, yeah, I, I I just thought it was superb. And you know what? It's done with the minimum, the minimum of fuss. This is a 90-minute um, a movie, one hour, 27 minutes, actually. And, you know, I, I, they could have easily made a two-hour movie out of this, but they don't. And it's it leads to the fact that you're you know you're you're even more engaged. Um, I really enjoyed it. I I cannot recommend it. But should I recommend? Yeah, I'm re fuck it. I'm recommending this. I'm recommending it. It's not an easy watch. Um, 
but it is worth every minute. It's a 15. It's called Believe Me, The Abduction of Lisa McVeigh. Um, next up is a movie called Hyena Road. Now, I watched this on Amazon. I don't know why I said Hyena Road, but I did. Um, it's on, it's, there's no getting away from it, is there? Um, it's on Amazon Prime, and um, it's definitely worth a watch. It's directed by Paul Gross, and it's written by Paul Gross, and he has a small part in it as well. And I was kind of like, hmm, I, 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 there was just something about it that made me think, yeah, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little, I'm going to have a watch of this. And I really enjoyed it. Now, it's not an action film, but there are action scenes in it. It's not a documentary. It's, um, I mean, it is, it is, it's not a war film. Um, the tagline for the movie is, one bullet can change everything. I mean, yeah. Uh, to be fair, a, a little bit cheesy. Um, but it is about uh, a very strange... Um, well, here we go, the storyline. Three different men, three different worlds, three different wars, all stand at the intersection of modern warfare, a murky world of fluid morality where all is not as it seems. And it is, it is one of those movies where... I, I, again, I found myself fully engaged all the way through. Really enjoyed it. It's a two-hour movie. Um, it's very... It, it's well acted. You get the feeling that they didn't have the millions that other, that other movies like this had. But, that, but only occasionally do you see the, the, the kind of like, you know, uh, rough edges. Most of the time, you're just thinking, you know, you're just engaged and... This is a great movie. Um, so yeah, it's not like I said. It's not a documentary. It's not. It's not exactly a war film, but it is in a war torn. You know, set in a war torn area. I've not really done a very good job of describing it, but I did give you the. Um, I did give you the, uh, uh, the 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 brief description. So hopefully that's convinced you to um, to watch it or not. You know, it's no skin off my nose. I'm I'm absolutely cool with you never watching anything I like. That's cool, right? Anyway. Um, now, TV series. Um, these three TV series are two are on Netflix. One is on Amazon Prime. Now, the first one has just finished. There's only three seasons of it. Each episode is twenty to twenty-four minutes long. Okay, and it's called the Kaminsky Method, and it stars Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's right. Michael Douglas is doing a Netflix series now um it's gonna have to be good if he's gonna get involved like obviously but it is just fantastic it really is um he it, i mean he michael douglas um uh stars alongside alan arkin as his best mate michael douglas is a is a, an acting coach alan arkin is an ex-agent um and all I can say is just watch it because it is fucking funny. It really is. Alan Alder and Michael Douglas, some of the scenes they have together are just side-splitting. And the final, the third series is just brilliant. I've just finished it. The last episode, I, I'll be honest with you, the end, the very end of the very last episode, I was sat there, tears streaming down my face with a massive smile. Now, that is a fucking achievement. That really is. Honestly, watch a few episodes and you'll be hooked, especially at only a short, you know, 25 minutes long. The Kaminsky Method. Absolutely superb. 
Um, next up, also on Netflix, is Sweet Tooth. Now, this is not the kind of thing that I would normally um, get taken in by, to be honest. It's not the kind of thing I'd normally... But there was something about it, okay? Something about it. A boy who is half human and half deer survives in a post-apocalyptic world with other hybrids. That is to do that is to do the series a massive massive disservice they it i mean it is far from just about that and it also makes it also like it's boys half deer so you're expecting like a deer head on a kid or you're expecting a kid with a deer's legs and it's not it's a kid with some antlers that's it okay um, now it is a post-apocalyptic world and all the rest of it but you know what really really refreshing uh, I felt it didn't fall into any of the tropes of the post-apocalyptic world it managed to steer clear of all of them and and really just it just delivered it delivered emotionally it delivered on an action level um, and I'm well aware that this program is probably meant for children, okay? But I really enjoyed it. I really... It's, it's not a kid's programme, don't get me wrong. It's not, It's not. you know... Oh, I'm making... I'm, I'm just fucking this up really now, aren't I? Anyway, look. Eight episodes. They're about 50, 50 minutes per episode. It's a 12. Watch it with your kids. Or just like I did, just watch it for yourself. Really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, uh, next up, on Amazon Prime, Preacher. Now, I have just finished season one of Preacher and I have really, really enjoyed it. This TV series is an 18 certificate. There are four series of it. Um, and uh, it basically, it's after a supernatural event at his church, a preacher enlists the help of a vampire and his, and his ex to find God. Now, if that doesn't just draw you in ever so slightly... It fucking should do. When you see that it's, uh, it stars Dominic Cooper, Joe Gilgan and Ruth Negger, it definitely should do. Now, for those of you, just bear with me, because I've got to basically do something with the keyboard. Right. For those of you who are recognising the name Joe Gilgan, well, you should do. Because he has been around, but basically he's, he's known for This Is England... This is England 86 and this is England 88 as lols, love interest, boyfriend, etc. Top man, great actor. He is actually an ex-gypsy himself. Um, but he, And he's brilliant in this, alongside Dominic Cooper, who is bastard hard in every episode. Alongside Ruth Negger, who is bastard hard in every episode. And honestly, it, it is... It, at the beginning of every episode, it says, 18 certificate for... Foul language, nudity, violence, and I'm just like listing all these things going, yeah, 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 lovely, great, yeah, I'll have some of that, thanks, more, more of that, please. Um, Really, really enjoying it. It's got a, a weird sort of, there is a weird dust till dawn vibe right in the background, right in the background, but there is just this kind of weird sort of dust till dawn feel to it. Um, but anyway, Preacher, if you've got um, Amazon Prime, yeah, 
stick it on and enjoy. Just finished season one, about 50 minutes per episode. I can't wait to get stuck into season two, frankly. Now, the other TV programme I was going to mention is Gamora, but I've already mentioned it before. And guess what? Andy recommended that to me, and he is coming up next. He also recommended the movie Muscle to me, and we discussed it, and he is coming up next. So we start out reviewing uh, Gamora, the TV series, and Muscle, the movie. Um, and then we get into Andy's story. Now, um, Andy is one of my oldest friends. I was his, I was his best man back in the day. Um, he's a, we met doing stand-up. He's done stand-up, acting, writing, production. Um, he works in TV now. Um, and he's one of my oldest and best friends. And I can't believe that the penny didn't drop way earlier that I should get him on because his story is fantastic. What we're going to do after the chatting about the um, uh, Gomorrah um, and Muscle, we're going to get into his story, which is the story of the movie Last Passenger. Now, if you've seen it, Andy co-wrote it. If you haven't seen it, Andy co-wrote it. Basically, Andy co-wrote it. And, we, and we're going to be all over the map here talking about the story and how it finally came to screen and all of the other bits and pieces um, behind the whole well the whole journey i hate using the j word but hey it's it's really appropriate here so this is two old friends uh, um chatting so occasionally i do forget that we're recording this um, which is fucking ridiculous but hey shit happens that's what happens when you have your mates on um you become even more unprofessional than you already are anyway enough of my jibber jabber let's uh, let's have andy have a chat shall we this is andy and i having a right old catch up um, for, well, we spent about half an hour on the phone before we pressed record, so we thought we'd better get out all, all out of the way first. So here is Andy and I having a chat not long ago. Hello there, Andy. Hi, mate. How are you? I am very well. Should we should we pretend like we haven't had a half an hour conversation already? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway. Um, I will have done an intro, and I'll have yeah. mentioned to everybody that um, that recently I finished Gamora, and I've also watched the movie Muscle. Now, um, now you're responsible for both of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's dive into that before we do, you know, inverted commas your story, if you don't mind. All right. Yeah. No problem. Cool. All right. Um, so. Uh, Gamora, which which you um, cleverly undersold to me as the greatest TV program ever made. <laughs> yeah, I, I well, I, there's a bit of a background in that. I mean, I it got recommended to me by uh, a guy who I work with, and um, he's probably he's a little bit older than us. And you know, you always find someone when you work somewhere that you know you very end up talking TV and the film with. And he, we were talking about Sopranos, and we've, you and I spoke about Sopranos. And, I, and I, I'll be honest, I don't think I started watching The Sopranos until I think I first saw it possibly six, seven years ago. Right, um, yeah. And then it, it was just one of those shows that I thought, oh, yeah, I'll get around to watching that. I'll get around to watching that. And, yes. um, yeah, I know and the then, feeling. You know, it, just, it was on Sky, and I thought, right, I'm going to commit to this. And, you know, I just fell in love with it and I finally got what everyone was referring to because it's not just in conversations you know it kind of informs all other comparisons doesn't it when it comes to sort of long form TV shows like that 
Yeah, and, well, it's um, a, it's a, well, it's a ga- it's one of the game changing sort of holy trinity, isn't it? You had uh, you had yeah. twenty four, you had uh, the Sopranos, and you had the Wire. Yeah, and yeah, and, much. and though and from those three, I mean, you can yeah. Anyway, let's not go off on a tangent. Um, do yeah. carry on. So, so anyway, so he recommended this this show, Gomorrah, and um, yeah, I just was absolutely blown away by it. I think that first episode <laughs> yeah. and, um, is, I mean, talk about selling the rest of the season. I don't know about you, the rest of the whole thing. I don't know about you. I was just really, really, uh, I was sold in that first one. And, yeah. and looking at it, possibly, it looks to me that possibly, you know how these things go in terms of financing and stuff. I know that's not the most important thing, but it is the most important thing. It looks as though they went really big on that first episode. Well, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I know what you mean by being sold on it, and um, I mean, you know, we've got to be careful here because I want people to watch it as opposed to yeah. uh, us describe exactly what happens in the four seasons. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, all I can say about it for me, what stood out was um, the brutality of it. Mm. Also, yeah. the the. Um, the reality of it it's got a really earthy dirty quality to it you know it's yeah. like it's it's like the dirty secret bastard child of the sopranos yeah there's um i think with the sopranos i think one of the reasons why that's still an amazing show is that, it, that there's, there's lighter elements isn't there you know that there's, there's funny yeah. elements in there um there's there's a, even though you know no one I know is a member of like a, you know a, a mafia family, but there are, there's lots that you can relate with. You know, you, you're you're talking about someone, uh, you know, who's going through various different things and therapy, and and you know a lot of his concerns are the main concerns that a lot of people have. I think particularly, but, that, guys, but also, but that's the ge- but that is the genius really that's at the heart of the Sopranos is the fact yeah. that is the fact that you the the you know, as soon as you meet. Tony Soprano, you find out he's in therapy and he's yeah. he's falling apart and he's having all these problems. So instantly you humanise with him, you, you humanise him, you empathise with him. You think, oh poor yeah. bloke, and you fo- and so you follow him on his journey because the thing is, he's a hateful, murderous human being who steals, steals, lies, steals, and cheats to on everybody he knows, and you are yeah. rooting for him the whole time. Absolutely. And I think with well, one thing that I found myself at least two or three times through watching Gomorrah is it you had that but to the nth degree. There's yeah. uh, there's one what the, the whole without giving you spoilers, the, the, there's kind of would you agree there's two main characters that you follow through the whole um the whole thing. And one of them is is, is a character called Gennaro. He's the son of the big boss and and his character journey is oh, just yeah. oh. incredible. Yeah, no, I totally agree and and I have to say I have to say um from an acting point of view I mean I yeah. I mean I just I'm so so impressed with the guy who plays um Salvatore Esposito I think it is. Which which yeah, again yeah. is is I mean could you have a more Italian name please? No, it yeah. is not possible. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it sounds like a, um, it sounds like a brand of salami or something. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, just like, yeah. it's it's. <laughs> but 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 again, the, the acting in it is fantastic. The uh, but like so not just the brutality as well, but also the fact that because it's in Italy, 
you you know you're seeing a european landscape you're not seeing a us landscape so instantly yeah. it's it's less warm it's harder yeah. and then you and yeah, then yeah. You, and then you see the you know you see the the, the slums and the ghettos which funnily enough yeah. you know when you think of italy you don't think of modern day slums and ghettos you think of the colosseum and you know all the, yeah. all the beautiful things about so it gets that side of italy across as well this horrible the, the seedy underbelly of of yeah. of Naples and that whole region really. Um, oh, you, you, you look like it's a world that you know. I certainly felt watching it being kind of you know a very sort of Western sort of lower middle class. I felt if ever I found myself there, I'd probably be dead or at least robbed or mugged within just a few minutes. And that's not kind of based on. All bloody foreigners. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Back. Well, you would be a bloody foreigner right there, you know, yeah. and and it, it, and you it, would be robbed, mugged, and dead. <laughs> completely. It's just it, it's just real bandit country, and, and yeah. I think you, on another podcast that I listened to, I think you surmised it in that. I think the, I think one of the reasons why you know that the whole mafia genre works so well for drama is that you know you could be off at any moment. Yes. It could you lose everything any moment, and I think yeah. Yeah. it's just, I'd say more so than The Sopranos. Oh, 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 without a doubt. I mean, well, that, well, that's, without revealing too much, that's why the first episode sort of sets the table, really, because you go, oh, right, okay, so basically I better fucking watch my back as a viewer. I better not, I better yeah. not invest too much in any of these characters because if I do, oh, yeah. they may go yeah. and it won't be nice. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that, it, but it really pushes you as well. I mean, for example, I, the, the other main character is a guy called uh, called Ciro, and he is essentially the the, the hitman of the uh, of the big boss. And I don't know about you, but he I, I really liked his character. But there are times. I mean, he does some things that are just well. This terrible. is it. This is it, isn't it? I mean, everybody in this series does something. Horrific. Look, mate, as much as we could probably go on about this forever, we've got to cover muscle and we've got to do the whole other thing. So come on. We're both basically saying watch Gamora and please do come back and tell us what you think. Oh, honestly, I think, I, I, honestly, even though I may not, I probably haven't met most of you listening, I think it is absolutely worth your while. And the good news is, I, I don't think you have to wait for it to build. It, <laughs> your first episode to draw you in. Can, can, I, can I just say thanks for the compliment when you said, I don't think I've met most of you listening. And that's, <laughs> no. how, how big is my audience? Like 17? <laughs> you I mean, well, you yeah. bastard. <laughs> If I if I know everyone, we could have just done this on a conference call. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, listen, I'm with I know you'll have people who. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm, no, mate, it's it's absolutely fine. Like, I'm, I was I was enjoying I was enjoying making you squirm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, watch watch Gamora, but also something that everybody will probably like hate us for if we don't tell them up front. So here is the deal breaker. It's it's on Sky. You can watch the whole thing on Sky or you can find it elsewhere, but it is on Sky. Here's the deal breaker. It is in Italian because it is set in Italy and it's all it's an Italian production. So it's subtitles yeah. or fuck off home, I'm afraid. So, yeah, it, and, so you, and, that, you know, put and, that on the <laughs> <laughs> subtitles or fuck off home. Or fuck off home, mate. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah fair enough. 
it's like a, it's like a good novel that you commit to. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think no one will be disappointed if they dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good luck with that one, everyone. Now, speaking of yeah. which, um, things do not take an upbeat, hilarious turn onto the movie Muscle. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's called Muscle. Now, let's get this out of the way straight away as well. This is almost as key as saying it's subtitles, which we probably should have said up front. I'm glad we didn't, actually, because people would have just stopped listening. But anyway, yeah. um, this stars Craig Fairbrass. Got to put that out there right in the front. I mean, that's like subtitles, isn't it, Andy, really? You know, you've got to yeah. put that up up front. Because yeah. and, and I, was, I was exactly the same. I think it's possibly... Because we, we have... How long we have? We have a mutual friend who, you know, if Craig Fairbrass is in it, that's a reason why he'll watch it. He, yeah, loves kind of stuff. Yeah, Do football, you know I mean? football factory, Green Street, and it basically anything shit. Anything shit in it with blo- with blokes <laughs> being um, sort of unreformed malcontents from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he'll then he'll be all over this. So I. Yeah, I, I, when I saw, I thought, oh god, you know, and you know, the last. So I'm not a huge fan of of, of Craig Fairbrass, you know. I thought <laughs> of of the know. of the Fairbrass oeuvre. Yeah, exactly. You know, barely, barely you know, you put up with him a little bit, maybe in, in Cliffhanger, which yeah. But also, also check out that movie Citizen as well. I haven't watched it yet, but I've, I have heard really good things about it. I've heard it's the okay. other one of his you can watch. Maybe he's on a roll okay. at the moment. Maybe so, but. In this, it's by far the. I think it's he, he gives an amazing performance in this. He's yeah. superb in it. Oh, he, I mean, it's this is this is. I mean, put it this way: you now look at it and you think, "Wow, if this guy had actually been getting a, given a half decent script in Cliffhanger, he might be a fucking yeah. Hollywood megastar right now." Because clearly, it's never been about ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. This is, and you know, I'll go to, to, not to get kind of deep about it, but I think this this is one of the the uh, an amazing film about you know we hear a lot of that about sort of toxic masculinity and all that stuff, and I think whenever you say that phrase, most blokes know, most folks know what you're talking about, and I think that this is a really quite terrifying example of how it can just how it can just slide into your life if you let well, it. Well, do, do, do you know what? i tell you what I really like about this movie. i tell you what I really yeah. like about this movie is that you, there's a way of looking at it as a, as a love story. And basically, yeah. these, you know, uh, um, you know a, a, a guy meets a girl um, and, it, you know, they, she moves in straight away and everything's great. But then very quickly... Yeah he realises that um, she is insane and yeah. if he's not careful, he's going to be in her thrall forever and possibly yeah. be arrested or dead or both. I mean, you could be, yeah. effectively, your corpse could be arrested, maybe, I don't know. But uh, yeah. basically, but the way it's done is this is two blokes. This is a bromance. This is not a, this is not a, um, a gay love story. Both the characters no. are heterosexual in it. It's kind of left in the air that maybe 
yeah. one of them isn't. But basically, it is. It, it is like, you know, hey, you meet somebody, oh, we get on great, move in, and it turns out to be possibly the biggest mistake of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good analogy. It's very, it's, it's like a retelling of a love story. Um, and, I mean, just, again, without, there's a moment, I think I mentioned to you, that there's a bit, there's a bit where the guy who owns the house, you might remember this bit, and um, he's in his own room, in his own house. Yes. And th- these these guys and, and the Craig Bearbrass character comes back and they're pissed up and whatever. And they're kind of mocking him. Yeah. Well, they are mocking him. Yeah, shouting up but, the stairs. But I just, I, but he will, and I was petrified for the guy because yeah. just, you know, we've all been in those situations where you're at a party. I mean, that's an extreme, but you're at a party, and you know, you know, when you're going to, a, you've been to a pub, or you know, and it could just kick off horribly any second. Yeah. But imagine that in your own home. Yeah, it's it's. You're absolutely right, and also the, it was the concept as well of being terrified, and he was, uh, and um, you know, putting things against the door, blocking people yeah. getting in his room in his house, which is just. Mad. Also, I think I better I better flag up as well, along with Craig Fairbrass, that it's this movie is shot in black and white, and that does give it a a a kind of even grimmer, darker feel. And I can see why they did that. But also, talking to you about it now, do you know what I think? There was that at at times, at times, and people who know this movie will like this. at times, this movie gave me a Dead Man's Shoes vibe. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think the whole style in which it's done, um, it's very, very kind of that. It's got a very much a kind of Shane Meadows kind of feel to it, hasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, it has. Yes, it's got a, how would you say, a, an intangible sense of dread, which, funny enough, you know, you're not quite sure which way it's going to go. And, of course, you know, with with, with Dead Man's Shoes, again, I don't want to say too much about that because if someone hasn't seen that movie, they need to see it. I mean, that's, you know, and there's, I don't reveal too much about that. But, yeah. And, again, but that's, that's all that guys, isn't it? That's just, again, yeah. kind of drug-addled men getting together, which, you know, if in our all, you know, when... When guys get together and all the guards are down, we all recognise that as, 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 you know, as abhorrent it is. But I guess it's the reason why it happens largely all behind closed doors. It occasionally spills out into places like pubs and clubs and what have you. But, yeah, it's... uh, For me, me it's a kind of... It's almost like a window into the world of the criminal underclass. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that... And it's also, but you know what's interesting, isn't it? I was thinking about, and, and kind of going back, it's a point you can make about Gamora, kind of smiling back, and also with Sopranos as well. Actually, no less so Sopranos. You know, if you write down what's happening in Muscle and, you know, they're having these parties where there's, they're drinking and having a good time and there's women on tap and whatever you want to do is available. And that sounds quite sort of back in Ireland, amazing. But not at any point does it look appealing. Oh God, no, no! I mean, you, you, the, there is a there's a scene where he walks round his own house, and it's effectively yeah. an orgy, 
and yeah. it's and and it's really well done. I mean, there's a there's a there's a, a hell of a lot of nudity in it, and and as an orgy yeah. scene goes, it's it's brilliantly done. But yeah. not for, not not for once am I thinking, oh, you lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> No, Do you know, I'm, I'm, with, thinking... I'm with him walking around in a daze going, what the fuck is going on? Uh, this is, but he can't leave, it's his house. Do you know what I mean? If that was you there, you'd think, yeah, I'm out. This is, this is yeah. horrible. Yeah, I got, yeah, what you'd be doing, you'd be getting your jacket and you're going, fucking hell, I'm glad I don't live here. <laughs> really, yeah, imagine, imagine being this poor bastard when he wakes up. Oh, shit, it's my house. <laughs> Those things won't come out, mate. See you later. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Well, yeah. uh, um, well, look again. Again, we could talk about this for hours, but yeah, uh, muscle. We both enjoyed it. Check it out now. Um, when I first met you um, all those years ago, um, yeah. you were acting, um, yeah. and you did all sorts of bits and pieces all over the shop. Um, yeah. Uh, but the reason, the reason specifically that you know we thought it'd be a good idea to have this chat is obviously your experience in um, in being a a movie maker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, so basically, um, why do you take it from the very beginning? Because it was like you know I I I met Omid about halfway through all of this. I'd never met him before, and you you know you just said. Oh yeah, I'm writing a I'm writing a script with this guy called Omid and and then, you know, how did it how did it even start? Um well I'd known um I'd known Omid for since I was about sixteen. So, you know, we we'd met through near where my parents live. I did most of my formative growing up from the age of about eleven to like nineteen down in Surrey and I met Omid um, at in, in in Guildford, there's a theatre there called the Yvonne Arno Theatre. It's still there, and um, they did like a a kind of after school, after college Saturday kind of acting group. So we met through there, and then we just had an immediate kind of rapport in terms of in, in terms of films and movies and lots of other things. And um, and we and he was always going to be a filmmaker. You know, it's something that he he's he kind of set himself up to do and I'd always had an interest in the theatre as it was then and you know I'd always enjoyed films but I suppose never really had the means never really understood how they were made I know it's sort of technically how they're made well I thought I did but in terms of you know learning that there needs to be a script and you know there's just there's the skills involved in that and what have you so we used to have like long deep dive conversations about films and the original the original um by the way, if anyone's interested, I'll mention it now because I guess I forget to mention it later. It's called Last Passenger. It's oh, released. don't worry, mate. I will have done. I'll have done. I'll have done the. Oh, done? Yeah, I promise I will. Okay. Um, so the whole the whole movie basically started from a sentence. We had like three or four just basic ideas, um, and I think that the, the original, and this would have been. I wouldn't be surprised if this was 15 to 20 years before the movie got made. Um, and it was, a man gets on a train and it doesn't stop. Now, you know, this is before, you know, kind of Docklands Light Railway or <laughs> anything like that. No, it's, 
Yeah. It was the whole notion of someone getting onto a train, you know, and the train isn't doesn't stop. And it, it kind of just grew from there. And we'd always, we'd made films together. We actually, um, we'd made like, off the road back, we'd made like, I remember one film we made called Goldfish, which I'm still really, really proud of. Uh, we made that in the summer of 92. Um, and it's like a proper full hour and a half movie. In actual fact, one of the, um, I acted in it and also sort of helped with the script. But one of the other actors in it is actually, I'm sure you're more than aware of the work, is actually Victoria Hamilton. Oh, who, right. Um, she, yeah, she, she, was, she was also one of the lead roles in it. She actually, she actually played my girlfriend um, in that film. And uh, what's quite obvious is that, A, she's, she's an infinitely better actor than I could ever hope to be. Um, and, and B, I also had a massive crush on her as well. So I found her quite intimidating. Right. So uh, apart from that, but, apart from or apart from that disastrous scenario, her career has managed to recover. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but anyway, just if you were, uh, sort of, you know, th- th- this that th- you know, she was involved as well. So it wasn't. I think she certainly, even then, you could tell that she was incredibly good. You know, you really do see that when you, because when you know someone who's a, who's an actor, you, you know them just for who they are. But when you actually see almost flick a switch, um, then, uh, yeah. Anyway, so we, we, we worked on that and we worked on various different um, shorts together and we've won various different awards. And the relationship was largely that for the first few I acted and co-wrote. And then um, eventually I would just co-write with him. And we were always kind of bouncing around ideas um, right the way throughout our 20s. And then... Now, I can't remember the exact time scale here, but I want to say, so it's out. So probably around about 2006, 2007, um, Omid had managed to pitch the idea to um, various different production companies. And um, we got some interest from... And actually, at, that point, at this point, if I was listening to this, I'd want to know, okay, but that, how does that happen? How do you kind of get into the room? Because I think, well, I'll, I'll kind of conclude with this later on, but how did that happen? I think it was literally a case of, um, Omid was doing commercials and he was working for, I think it's still there, they're in Camden Park Village. I think they were, it's, it's still some studios that are still used today. And he was like the resident director there and he was doing commercials. He did some for like MB Games, MB, they're still going? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't know, mate. Um, and also McDonald's and all that stuff. So he was kind of, and I think that when you're constantly there working within that environment, naturally you get to meet people who, um, you know, can potentially take a script that they like and maybe progress it further. So he got our first draft in the hands of um, a few producers, but there was a pair, a young pair called, um, they were tr- they're under the, the company's called NDF, and Zach Winfield and, oh God, Ado Yamazaki. Now, um, Ado, both young, hungry producers. But Ado's mum, uh, Michio, was actually one of the producers for The Crying Game. So, and various other, various other movies. So, right. kind of had a So, you know, already 
it's got that kind of thing of somehow getting the script into the hand of someone who is either the right person or has the way or the relationship with someone who could be the right person. Yeah. Um, and then it was just a case of once we had that interest, we managed to get some development money because we also, as a result, because, you know, I'm sure it's exactly the same in music. Once you have someone with the contacts who's as passionate about it as you are, it, it, it makes it so much easier. You know, you, you feel that when you're there, which what you think is a really good idea, but, you know, you have no one, you almost have no one there to go, look, I'm not mad. Here's someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it's validation, they, isn't it? It's validation. And, you know, that can sometimes be the, the, the thing that takes a, a, a long time to get. Um, and so, so, to be honest with you, after that, it was, as those as where you, you learn a lot, is kind of getting the film made from someone's put some money behind it, but I want to change this. And so you change it. And, you know, there was all kinds of changes we made. I mean, like, I think, I, I know for a fact we lost two years over the ending. Um, and wow. the ending of the movie now is essentially what we originally put in. Yeah. Um, you know, you, because you you realise, you know, particularly at, at this level, and this is, this is a micro-budget movie, you know, we're talking anything I think that's below, like, three million is referred to as, uh, three million dollars is referred to as micro-budget. Um, and so this is a micro-budget movie. And I think that once you get, I'm sure it's the, the parallels between this and music must be exactly the same, where the more money gets involved, the more people have to have their say. And yeah. you end up having to resell your movie, resell your idea time and time and time and time again. And while yeah. that's kind of exciting, because you, you are doing it, you are there in these you know wonderful offices in London, you're at Warner Brothers, you know, you're meeting, I remember having a lunch with Gary Kurtz, you know, one of the producers, the producer of Star Wars, you know, you're kind of, you're moving in those circles. Um, but at the same time, you, you, you sometimes feel you're in development hell. I think we, that's where we're, we're in development hell for a good amount of time. Um, and then once you're, and development hell is a phrase, I'm sure a lot of people know what that means, but there's so many, Basically, no one will buy a, no one will buy your movie idea. If you're listening right now and you have a movie idea, well, then, you know, good. No one's going to buy that. What people want is, a, is at least an outline. They might show interest if you do an outline. But most importantly, you need to have a finished script. You know, they say that 90% of, of film scripts never get written. And that's 100% true. You know, you can have... But on my computer right now, I have a number of scripts that are quite finished yeah. until they're kind of finished to a level where, you know, I have the confidence to go, okay, well, look, no one's, and, and also <laughs> when you finish a script, it's not finished. All you're basically doing is, is kind of creating a, a, a calling card. You're kind of showing, look, yeah. I understand film. I understand this genre. I understand how to write because, you know, there's not just content. There's also form. Um, I understand what are kind of industry standards, but you also want to highlight that you can take notes 
that you can listen to direction. And from that, people deduce whether or not, you know, you're difficult to work with. Um, you know, if you're, you have the confidence to say, no, no, I'm not changing anything, then, you know, I, I think unless you have a kind of, you know, a good um, CV behind you, I don't think that kind of carries much weight. Yeah. So you, that kind of back and forth of, of people wanting to change things, and there's no other choice. You have to, you have to kind of, sometimes you can be quite despondent because you feel sometimes that you're writing an angle or working through a prism that you don't necessarily agree with, but you're kind of doing it and you justify to yourself what the compromise is. Yeah. You think, well, you know, you do this, then at least we'll have a movie being made. You know, you kind of have to think sort of more pragmatically and, and practically. Didn't you, um, didn't um, you, didn't you end up in a position as well where you, where, where you took the funding from the, was it the, the British Film Institute? And then, and then the funding got pulled or um, I, I, I know you were really unlucky. Yeah, I think that did happen. That, that I mean, there is <laughs> funny. There is there is something that did happen. There did something that that, that, that happened to Omid. That happened to Omid post Last Passenger, really quite dramatically, actually. Ah. Um, where he was, yeah, he was kind of you know on the road to riches, and then it just suddenly got got pulled. Um, yeah, I think it did. I think we were. Yes, it was. It was a fund, that I can't remember what it was. There was a fund where we were promised. It, wasn't, it the, get, get, wasn't it the funny. British film? In, wasn't it the B, BFI? Or they involved, it involved basically the government all of a sudden merged some organisations, and your funding went away. Um, uh, and uh, then, and you spent uh, a lot, you spent your last few hundred quid on a on making a trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was that was literally. It. I mean, the BFI still were involved, but you're right. I think I tell you what I think it was. No, I know what happened. It was a change of personnel. Oh yeah, well now so, that now that is exactly the same as uh, the music industry. You know, you got signed to the label by so and so. They loved it. They believed in it. They believed in the band. Someone else comes yeah. in and thinks you shit. Get off my label. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that that was at the BFI or maybe yeah, it was at the, at the, at the BFI. We had someone who was a big big fan of it, and then they changed jobs. And then the next person came in, and I think eventually they did stick with us. But I think we lost six months to a year just convincing them that yeah. you know we were worth sticking with. So you had to all the hard work, the hard yards you've done, you had to do it again just with this other person coming in. Um, but yes, you're right. There was we, we we lost a bit of time because of that, and, and you know this is despite the person leaving. Um, kind of, you know, just extolling the virtues, but you know, I guess when someone comes in, they want to make their own mark. Um, so yeah, we did we did lose time because of that. Um, and it's and, and you know what? It's I love talking to people about you know films getting made because there's so many <laughs> there's so many things, particularly when you're working at that level or this level. You know, I think that when you know, I I, I remember I think listening to one of the podcasts you did with. Um, with Gary and you know it's a question that I think before I did it you kind of think fucking hell how do these films get made yeah you know you look at these films and say fucking hell who's as, as, to use a phrase that a mutual friend of ours used that I still use to this day and this is more when you talk about a person but if you're you know which is a great phrase is whose bastard's he <laughs> um, it's just such so you know just to explain, you know, if someone, it used to be if someone 
was kind of promoted above their station and you didn't feel, or someone, you know, got something you didn't feel they deserved, you would say, fucking hell, who's bastard thee? You're winning friends and influencing people here, Andy. Keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, still, I still use it to that day. I will say anyway. the thing is, but yeah, but you, you know, you, you're right. It, it, it's it, and, and again, these are these are more parallels with the um, uh, with, with the music business as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of you, you end up realizing that there's so many moving parts before the film. You get to see the film. I, I'm actually, I, I, first of all, if, I mean not so much bigger studios because that's what they're meant to do. But, you know, I think now if you're, if you're trying independently to get a movie made and you get it made, honestly, that is such an incredible achievement. If yeah. you started, you started with nothing. So, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, you were given a leg up by someone or, you know, you, you inherited some money or anything like that. I'm talking about you started with literally nothing and you managed to convince someone to take a punt on your creative vision, where chances are they won't make any money. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a hell of an achievement in itself, let alone the actual creative and artistic endeavour of it. I'm just talking about the nuts and bolts. I'm talking about the, the business part of show business. Um, you know, to get that done independently, and I know so many people who, 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 who are trying to get it done, and this is why, you know, Anyone who does anything creative, you know, as a, you know, if I can sort of, as much as I can, if I can help in any way, I'll always support it because I just know what the slog is to do that. And, but for example, the one thing that I never, the one element I found fascinating, and this is something that again held up the movie being made, was actually um, sales agents. So I, I think that when it comes to a film, before films made, you know, obviously the sales agents are consulted and these are people who are asked, okay, what can we do to make this film easy to sell? What can we do to make this film easy to sell to distributors so they'll want to show it in as many cinemas as possible? Yeah. And, uh, and that's when you start to talk about um, cast. So, for example, I know this, our script went to, went to Ewan McGregor it went to Michael Fassbender. It went to Kenneth Branagh. It went to Eric Banner. It went to all these actors. But then it soon becomes clear that you just can't afford them. You just, you know, they'll want certain guarantees and, and those kind of things. Plus, you know, they're getting inundated with films all the time. Yeah. And so, and so then you're then to another realm of trouble, another kind of hurdle, which is, well, who can we get that's yeah. big enough? Yeah. So, so in other you words, it, yeah. So, in other words, look, this is how much we've got. Who can we buy for that? Yeah, exa- exactly. It, it's yeah. kind of to use it. it you know, it's, I suppose. It's, well, any analogy, because football analogy in terms of transfers. But yeah, exa- yeah, that's exactly what you're wanting. Um, and so, so it's like, yeah, we wanted Joanna Lumley, but we got Lindsay Duncan. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Well, actually, do you know what? Funny enough, Lindsay, she was. She was actually out of the Bermondist, out of all the people, uh, Lindsay Duncan and probably Cara, actually, um, were probably the people who we were very near to the top in terms of who we wanted, if not at the top. Um, 
we've got we have uh, the movie stars do great scott who who I think was excellent. And, and you know what? The one moment I will tell you about with, with, with Dugray is um, he's quite a, he's a football fan. And I think we got to talk about football quite early on. And I think, I imagine when you meet people at that kind of, who are used to people kowtowing to them. And I, in my nervousness, I just always oh, a guy who likes football. You know, so I can kind of have, you know, I can talk to him like I talk to you, for example. And, um, yeah. And I think a couple of times I might have overstayed my I might have overstayed my I don't know, stepped over the line a little bit because there was um there was one incident where we were doing like a walkthrough on the train and um he kind of I can't remember what you said because obviously because I'm from Scotland and so I I was born there and I had an accent until I was like five and stuff so naturally if I if I talk to someone from Scotland I can kind of pick up the accent quite quickly and and you know. Before no, before long, I'm saying I instead of yes and, and those kind of things. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. He kind of there was one bit where we were doing some blocking in one of the carriages, and and, and the oh sorry before remind me to talk remind me to wing nuts remind me wing nuts. I, I will remind you of wing nuts. Yes. Okay. Um, so um, we were doing this blocking in this train, and we were actually filmed. Just a little bit of interest how it was filmed. It was filmed at Shepperton Studios, and we actually worked on. They found some old rolling train stock because the film was actually set, I think, in about 2003, and that was done primarily because, without spoiling it, what what happens on the train couldn't happen now with with modern technology and engineering and stuff. Yeah. It just couldn't happen now. But um, back the time when we filmed it and with this these kind of rolling stock trains it absolutely could so it's filmed on these trains they picked them up from wales they refitted them and they basically put them in on studio h which is the old star wars stage um at uh at um Shepton studio which which again so let's, I mean, hang on let, let's just stop there for a minute that's got yeah. to be like you know it, it, I, mean, I realize this is a good few years ago now but at the time you must have been thinking wow like Wow! Not only are we getting this made, but you know we've yeah. got actors that people have actually heard of. Um, yeah. And I mean, we've taken a big leap here. We can cover a, a bit of a gap um, in yeah. a bit. But yeah, and, and all of a sudden you're on, you know, you're filming on an old Star Wars stage. There must have been a moment where you're like, "Fucking hell, I've made it!" Oh yeah, no, there's, there's, there's absolutely, there's absolutely a moment of that. However, as someone who, um, you know, has as you mentioned right at the start, you know, I've, I've been an actor, you know, I'm a TV presenter now, screenwriter. And of course I've we learned... met doing, and of course we met doing stand-up. We met doing, yes, that's a stand-up as well. You know, I, I've learned to curb my enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I've, I've, all of us have got stories of if this had happened, you know, I was this close, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, yeah. throughout the whole thing, I think I was very, very feet on the ground. I realised that, you know, this might not happen again. This is no guarantee. You know, I, I think I treated it, you know, I, I, was, I think I deliberately had that mindset. So, yeah, you know, from a TV, from a film point of view, you're like, wow, gosh, imagine all the history here. But, you know, when you're there, it's just a big empty studio. Yeah. And, yes, you've got a lot yeah. of history there, but it, it it's just a big empty studio. There's no... There's, you know, I think there's a plaque outside, but that's it. Yes. You know, there's yeah, no, yeah. 
there's no there's no old set there or anything like yeah. that. So. All right. Well, look, I've, t- I've, I've taken you off. I've taken you off track a little bit there because you were about to tell a story about yeah. um, how you overstepped the line with uh, Dugarry Scott. So basically, we were kind of doing this blocking. We were kind of doing this this, this blocking part of the script, and there was a, an area where he had to kind of walk past where I was stood, and he kind of he kind of walked right up to me. He didn't kind of say, "Excuse me." That might be because he was working, so what he maybe felt I shouldn't be I shouldn't be um, standing there but he kind of walked up to me and he looked me dead in my eye and I I thought he was joking and he basically said something like move and I basically I thought he was joking so I kind of I I think I said something like get the fuck (laughs) but and and but and listen but here's the thing right it was all fine, but just in that, just like you did then. After I said it, I thought, "Hang on, you know, this." It, look, I, I wasn't starstruck or anything, but you yeah. know, you kind of, yeah, yeah, it yeah, could be yeah. Horrible. yeah. You've heard it come out of your mouth and thought, "Oh fuck me, it's good to do Gary Scott. What have I done?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but ever since, but ever since then, and since that point, he was. I think he was kind of shocked more than anything. I don't think he was kind of like, you know, ready to, you know, fucking throw down. But I think he was just quite shocked. I remember thinking, gosh, I wonder, I wonder how many people, jokingly or not, have said that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah in the last few years, like on the, on the set of Mission Impossible 3 or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, yeah, that was, that was the moment. So it's interesting, you kind of, you know, you think of, movie tropes and that, at that moment that's when the camera really zoomed in on me and everything went quiet and he yeah. could have just gone well I've got this I'm off do you <laughs> know what I mean and that's it just ruined like 10 years work <laughs> yeah fight because you could that me and Duke right, were mates yeah couldn't you just <laughs> fucking move <laughs> exactly do you know what I mean yeah honestly kind of out moment but it part it, it part yeah it brought you kind of it was that moment. I didn't know how he was taking it, but he, you know, he took it in his stride. So, so well, let, well, let's bounce yeah, back. One... Let's bounce back to uh, development hell because we've ended up we've ended up yeah. going from development hell to yeah. being in Pinewood. So, what got what yeah. got you out of development hell? What was the you know what what turned out to be your big break? Well, I think what it was funny enough that brings back to that that ring thing because um, believe it or not, we actually ended up. Our script actually ended with Peter Jackson. Oh, cool! Um, and his Wingnut Studios, yeah, were very keen to get involved in terms of not just building the set. They actually really went to town on this amazing, you know, a train carriage. Right? They wanted to build a train carriage, but it had all the roof could come off. The whole side could come off that would enable you yeah. to film, you know, almost yeah. anywhere. Because we were, you remember those old trains, you know, that it, 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 there's not a lot of room in there. So, yeah, so if it's so anyway, the equivalent of if, if it was a house in a studio, you know, and you take the wall out so you can film, yeah, but except a train. Yeah, so they, they really wanted to build this kind of, you know, this amazing set, which would have, you know, enabled us to get almost anywhere and enabled us to get any kind of shot that he wanted to 
And um, they were really keen, but again, it came back to money. They just, you know. <laughs> I was just gonna. I, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say. I bet they were fucking keen. I bet they no, were. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's the thing. I, that's the part I don't quite understand. Is that I wonder if it was a case of they said, "Oh yeah, we'd like to do this," and someone went, "Well, you know, there's not much money," and they went, "Ah, oh, don't worry about that." But then when it came to actually saying how much it was, then they realised, "Oh yeah, maybe we should have worried about that." Yeah, um, because I think they yeah they, they, it was it was hundreds of thousands. It might have been even the best part of the million yeah. they wanted, well, which obviously. Well, didn't have the budget for. And also companies like that tend to tend to take on projects that they haven't done before or that they feel would be challenging or might be handy because they're going to be working on something similar a few months down the line. Absolutely. I think that's what it was. I think with they, 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 they come across the script, they liked it and they thought, OK, well, this is a challenging film environment. How could we, you know, <laughs> if we were involved, what can we do? Obviously, it just took a... a yeah, how can we? How can we get a million out of these idiots? Hey, charge them for a bloody train where the roof comes off. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I think that so obviously that didn't happen. But once we were at that kind of level, um, the development hell part was essentially Omid and I just trying to reinvent the wheel, and it was. You know, having to go back to the producers, taking on the notes and just rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. Now, bearing in mind that, you know, this is alongside, you know, I had a, I had a full-time job, but I couldn't commit to it all the time. Um, so, you know, kind of doing it at weekends, doing it, you know, whenever we had time uh, late in the week. So, you know, this, what, if we were working at it full time, you know, we could have maybe made the changes that they wanted in a couple of weeks. It was taking, you know, six weeks, eight weeks. Yeah. So before you know, kind of, um, it, it, it was, time was just passing. And it was literally Ahmed and I on the phone or on Skype was probably our, our telecommunication tool of choice then. Um, just talking, 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 talking going through the script, coming across points, real fine tooth comb. I mean, I think the relationship worked well in that Omid was a real, real stickler for detail. Detail, detail, detail. You know, there was nothing, nothing in that movie that wasn't watertight from a logic point of view. Yeah. You know, things like the fact that, um, you know, those trains run on diesel. So, you know, if you light a diesel tank, it generally doesn't explode. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, little things like that, you know, that, that we we were determined to be to ensure. We actually spoke to railway engineers, you know, through interviews. We went to, in, in Loughborough, there's a, I don't know the actual name of it, but there's literally a, I suppose you'd call it like a train graveyard where they have all kinds of trains from, yesteryear all kind of stored inside side um what do you call those sidings those store trains sidings yeah. um and um and yeah we would we went there a few times just looking at the trains getting a feel for it what would you do if you were here how easy is it to stand up here what would you think if it was dark you know it's kind of real re- real research real not just sitting down and thinking of, you know, thematically, you know, what do we want to cover and, you know, what's the, what the romantic elements are going to be. All right. And, you know, to create, 
Well, let me let me let me ask you let me ask you a question then, because I'm I'm putting myself in the, in in the shoes of somebody listening, and I'm thinking, well, you're you know you're going to train yards, and you're you know you're still doing all of this development, and you're still doing all of the going into all this detail and all the rest of it, but you're in yeah, yeah but you're constantly getting notes back saying change this, change that. Um, yeah. How the fuck are you still motivated after you know five six years into the process? And, you know, there you are in a train yard X amount of years down the line. And you've got to be wondering at some point, is this is this train ever going to leave the station? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember that there was that there's, there's two. I can't remember the exact moment that what caused it, but there was at least two moments where it looked as though it wasn't going to happen. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, I think Omid was the driving force of it. Um, I think when there's two of you working together, it's, um, do you know what, listen, to, to, to take a sidestep just for a couple of seconds, I think, that, like, during lockdown, one thing that uh, I've taken up doing a lot more of that I never really enjoy, but is actually running. Um, and, you know, it's something I've always done kind of as a precursor to, like, you know, going to the gym and what have you, but I've never really enjoyed running. Now, what I've come to realise, kind of jumping ahead now, someone who, you know, likes to run two, three times a week, I've come to realise that when people used to say, oh, it's all in the mind, they're absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. And I think what I've learned, that many, there's lots of things you learn when you're running because it's quite contemplative, contemplative, is that what was stopping me from running was my mind going, you don't need to do this, you know. You can just stop now and go on. You know, there's... there's you know, and that's what was defeating me each time. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't do this. I'm going, fantastic. Um, and I think once you learn to ignore that, as, as Joe Rogan would say, I don't know if, he's, if his name is still good around these parts, um, <laughs> you know, you kind, of, um, you, you, you kind of quieten that in a bit. And I think through things like that, you kind of learn a sort of mental strength and listen, if, this, if, if I was in a church saying this, you'd call that faith, I think. You know, I think that if you, if, if you don't have, if you don't have a faith, I think it's, you know, it, you, the equivalent of a faith, I think, is a mental strength. I am going to do this because I'm going to do this. And, yeah. you know, no doubt in my mind I'm going to do this. So I think it was, um, and that, that's, and so going back to your question, that's made so much easier when there's two of you. Yeah. two of you yeah. pulling through. I think if it was just me knowing myself as I am, yeah, I might have stopped. Yeah, no, I, I, I think... totally agree. I totally agree because also there is a there there what there is with two people is that you are you're in a you know you're in a relationship if you like, and you know you've yeah. got a kid which is the script, but that's yeah. that's a bit cheesy. But ultimately, you two are in it, and if if you if you walk away. Omid falls over, and if Omid walks away, you fall over. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you, yeah, you're, you're bound to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much, because I think that, it, it, and, and it gets to a point, doesn't it, where nobody hell has come this far. You know, you've I know that feeling, and that feeling, that sort of bloody mindedness, where where something else comes out, or someone else throws something at you, and you go, "Oh, really? Is that the best you can do?" Oh, oh you know, yeah. I was expecting yeah. worse. Yeah, and also, and, and just to throw, so I know we're kind of dotting all over the history, but you know, this another another thing that held us back at about the same time that we uh, were releasing it, or found about the same time, um, there was another bit 
set on a runaway train. You had the, you actually had two. You had the remake of Pe- Taking a Pelham 123, um, which was remade with um, Denzel Washington. But then there was, and I've forgotten what it's called, there was another movie around about the same time that was set on a train. Um, and to this day, I haven't seen it. But, it, you know, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the one-sentence pitch, the logline, it was pretty identical. So there was a lot of nervousness. That was when we were getting quite close to being done, quite a lot of nervousness, saying, oh, well, there's another movie with bigger stars in it. You know, there's, there's, it's a real insight into how, I suppose, salespeople and producers work, you know, the notion that people won't go and see a movie about a similar subject. Yeah. You know. Uh, they'll they'll pick one or the other, or, or that, uh, or that the the you know if two movies are out set on a train, the one with the bigger stars will automatically win. Exactly, exactly. Um, was it called Unstoppable? I can't remember. Anyway, but so so that was they were two movies that were on the horizon when we were really really close to getting um, kind of a deal in place, um, and yeah, so. It, so to your point, why didn't you? Um, why did you get? Actually, no. Maybe that movie was called Unstoppable. Maybe I'm getting confused. Mm. No, no. no I, I, I think I think you're right, and I think um, and I think look, look, you know, you're absolutely right. You get to a point where it's just like now we're you just you're in it for the long haul. Also, I think you know you realise that when you pass the Rubicon, you know, when you've passed that point where it's actually yeah. it's further it's further to go to yeah. go back than it is to just continue yeah. ahead it's you just have to do it um and at some point presumably we've we've talked about you know the crossover of the music business some some point there was that moment where you know you signed your first record deal and you celebrated yeah yeah that was um when you know before i think throughout all of this and here's the thing i suppose i was in a slightly advantageous position in the fact that this was I wasn't doing this to escape, you know, a terrible situation. You know, I was I was gainfully employed. You know, I was you know I wasn't doing I wasn't doing this for the money. If I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and I think that when it the moment is when you see when you see your name on the screen, you know, and you're you're, you're in a cinema and you're surrounded by, you know, people uh, people that you know, and, you know, this is a proper movie and a proper cinema, and that's your name up there. And that's the moment where you think, fucking hell. Because, and here's, and here's, the, and, and here's the really, really nice thing about it, is it's lovely now, a bit like yourself. I remember when, because for people who don't know, how and I used to live together, not in that way. <laughs> but I remember when um, you, you used to get royalty checks, and you probably, of course you still do, from, from Acid Ray. And, you know, you would make a joke about, oh, you know, someone must have bought a CD in Japan. Yeah, CDs, kids, that's how long ago this was. Yeah. Um, and um, and funny enough, just, just the other, I think it was, it, when was it? September last year, I got, but similar. It's because the film had been shown in Spain on TV. And so that's always nice. You think, oh, my God, it's still out there. It's still, yeah. you know. Somebody somewhere might watch it for the first time, and without kind of you well, know getting sealed the dreams, it's that 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 is incredibly rewarding. Well, to, that well, somebody somewhere might just accidentally, well, it's been broadcast, so hopefully somebody somewhere 
really, really enjoyed it. But the real... Well, well to be honest real... with you, mate, as, to be honest with you, mate, due to lockdown, I finally got round to fucking watching it and it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> after, all, after all that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. By the way, listeners, don't watch it. No, I'm obviously, obviously <laughs> I jest. Um, but, I, well, yeah, it's it's out there and it's out there forever. And sometimes you forget that. Yeah, and, and but the, re- the, the 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 one thing that uh, the most and listen, there's also I mean I don't know if we might go into it, but there's there's also I mean Omid, um, the director, is no longer with us. Yeah, there, there, there is a there is a, a a sad postscript to this story. A postscript, but um, the the script pretty soon after the script got made, we actually got contacted by the um, oh gosh, my mind's gone blank. The company. The association who do the Oscars. Oh right. Cool. Not the Royal. Um, not the Royal Variety the Royal Club. No, no, no. Not Royal Variety Club. What are they called? The Academy. It's like the equivalent. Of the Royal Society, the Academy of Dramatic. I can't remember. Anyway, whoever does the Oscars. Anyway, in um, in Los Angeles, they have a library, and they have countless amounts of scripts within there. Not every single script, obviously, but, you know, forevermore, as long as that building's still standing, and I should find out what the hell it's called, but it's, a, you know, the official motion picture, Academy of Motion Pictures, um, there is a copy of Last Passenger in there. Cool. So yeah, that is kind of, in that respect, that's for the ages. So, you know, it's a place where anyone who's interested in movies, you know, now or 20 years, 30 years, 100 years in the future could go and actually um, access it as like a learning tool. Um, that's awesome. You know, as an example of, yeah. That's, so that's awesome. Uh, honest, now, so, I mean, so, I, I met um, Omid during this process. I think yeah. we, we I, I mean, this, this, this sounds way more glamorous than it was, but yeah, Omid and I met in San Francisco through, um, yeah. I was yeah. staying at mutual, I was staying at a friend of yours, staying with a friend of yours and yeah. Omid was in town. So we, so we only ever got to meet once and, um, yeah. and we didn't get on. Um, but, yeah. uh, but I kind of, that it, it wasn't that we, it was, it wasn't that we didn't like each other. Do you know what I mean? It was like, no. it was like, yeah. yeah, we don't get on very much on this, this subject right here, but yeah, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't that we didn't like each other. We just didn't get on about quite big things, but, um, but he, you know, he seemed like, um, he seemed like a, you know, a decent enough guy. And I know you guys have been yeah. writing together for years um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, how many years was it after Last Passenger that that you know he um, um, he left well, us? Well, Last Passenger, two thousand thirteen. So you're talking where are we now? So maybe four or five years afterwards. Um, yeah, Omid um, Omid died, but he he he, uh, he took his own life, and there's there's lots of different reasons for that. Um, that you know, I won't speculate on i mean he he was suffering from depression and the depression mm. eventually got him um yeah. but i and it's such a shame that he was you know after after last passenger he he did get quite a few offers of work um but if he thought the script was shit he didn't do it <laughs> so that was it you know he kind of um was really quite an auteur in that respect and i don't think he never needed to do it for the money and that's not because he was you know particularly sort of you know well off or anything like that but he was actually quite he wasn't showy or anything like that but 
he wanted to make really, really good films. And I think Last Passenger, there was a real danger there because I know he had to compromise a lot. And in all of his creative endeavours before, because essentially, you know, he was, I suppose this time he was playing with someone else's money. I guess he always has done, but he had to compromise a lot. I know, for example, that, you know, he really struggled with a production manager. Um, so, you know, a production manager on, on, on a... Um, on a, uh, on a on a set is basically the person who will say yay or nay you can do that you can't do that we're running out of time you know you need to hurry up now because the crew will start you know needing double time food you need to break now for lunch because that's what the union requires you know that kind of thing they're all pain in the ass yeah um, and uh, I think that and we had uh, yeah we had a, a guy called Donal who's done you know countless Hollywood movies he was a real hard ass <laughs> he was yeah there was no real compromise with him which I guess is exactly what you want in that role um, yeah I guess so but also I, do you know what the funny thing is I picked up on something you said and I thought yeah this is this is kind of how these things go which is yeah. he didn't need the money and yeah. because when you need the money if you've got a young family you've got a mortgage whatever then you do those films that you've been offered with shit scripts because that's what you are going to be offered and you you, you make them and you make 20 of them and then somebody offers you something half decent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that he, for whatever reason, didn't feel that he needed to compromise that. But then throw in there that all of a sudden after... Last passenger had happened. I mean, during the making of it, he got married. Um, he had a kid. So all of a sudden, he wasn't kind of, you know, a single guy, film or tour. He was a family man. Right. Um, and and uh, and all of a sudden, it's kind of, I mean, I, I hate to discuss the situation. Uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like this is almost private, but it's, it, it, I don't know, you kind of almost see the fact that he was an auteur and he wanted to do things his way. Um, yeah. But he had a young family and a wife, which meant yeah. that he should be compromising his standards. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. and he wasn't. And maybe that was leading to friction. And basically you can see, you can see how all of these worlds were jarring together and he couldn't see a way to fit the pieces together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the actual filming, of Last Passenger, I mean, that nearly killed him just from a health and well-being point of view, you know. I think he was, I think he was getting like two hours sleep a night. It was a five-week shoot and he was getting like two hours sleep a night um, and wasn't eating. And I think, you know, I don't know, but I did get the impression that, you know, you can imagine if, you can imagine, say, that all you've ever wanted to do is this thing. That you've always wanted to do is complete this project. You've always wanted to do this job, and you've not compromised anything really. Everything you've ever done has just been focused on that. And then all of a sudden, you get to do it, and you hate it. Yeah. You know, and imagine, and here's the thing: imagine, and imagine learning that in your forties. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. You, you kind of, you know, I think all of us, all of us who are creative, you know, we've all learned that, oh, oh, okay, so I'm going to have to do some things I don't necessarily want to do. I'm going to have to make some compromises because at the end of the day, I need to pay my rent or, 
you know, I'm not going to be able to just concentrate solely on this artistic or creative endeavour. Everyone's had to compromise. Um, and I think um, Omid didn't really do that. But then I think when he realised, oh, OK, so it's not just me I've got to please now. I've got a wife and I have a child. Um, I think that learning that your life's endeavour might end up being something that you really don't enjoy. I mean, that's quite a, quite a harsh lesson to learn. Yes. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. And with the other factors involved as well. I mean, it's 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 a real shame. It is, um, it's, mm. it's a real shame because this, you know, I mean, obviously you're one of my best friends and seeing you go through this, this amazing, yeah, I'm going to use the J word journey from, yeah. from beginning to end and catching up with about, you know, or every time we ever, you know, we ever get chance to meet up, getting the latest on where, where the script was at, where the movie was at and seeing your ups and downs and, you know, and, and really sort of riding that roller coaster and then seeing, you know, seeing you both achieve it um it's it's great you know it's it's nice when nice things happen to nice people and even better when they're your friends um and and i I don't know from my own personal point of view it's hard to separate from how everything ended up with with omid really it's it's um it's it's a really very very sad postscript to what is actually a very positive story no, absolutely, and you know, I think it, it, yeah, he was it, yeah, he's immensely talented. There's no doubt that he would, um, uh, you know, that, that he would have gone on to have, I think, a, a great career. He was just, I mean, you could talk to him about movies. You know, if you'd have gone back to San Francisco and he was still around, you could, <laughs> you know, he would he would be a great person to talk to, you know, on on one of these because he just, yeah. it, it was to, it was totally his life, and uh, yeah, there's there's lots of different reasons. There's there's other reasons why that won't go into, but I think it was just a, a culmination of different things just all kind of happening at once um so yeah great show great show it is it is but look i mean ultimately um you know we have our ending whether we like it or not um i'm sure yeah. i'm sure the listeners will have been um uh would have been fascinated by it all especially the way that we uh we both just sort of like um i mean i'm all over the map anyway so you know you you, you fitted in perfectly we've kept the story we kept the story lively by uh you know Constantly changing the timeline. I find I do that a lot. I find that I do, kind of, you know, I don't know whether that's kind of learned behaviour, but yeah, you do, you, because because I'm also aware that you don't want to, you want to kind of keep it interesting. And I'm just and you, and I suppose whenever I hear a story of how something's been done that you know I've been really impressed by, I kind of I want to, I do want to know the nuts and bolts, you know. You, I'm always intrigued by the st- finding out. Okay, so so how did you get that meeting? How did how did you know that person who was the gatekeeper? Yeah. The next day. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. And the the answer the, the answer is always it's not what you know, it's who you know. No, absolutely, it is. It, it, it really yeah. is. And also, it, well, it, it it it's it's so it's so annoyingly it's such a trope, isn't it? But. It's what not what you know who you know, but it's also it's luck and timing, isn't it? It's just yeah. yes, there's definitely a I'm, certain amount of that in everything. And you have to have a modicum of talent to be able to produce something that's legible, you know, or you know, something that's audible, or get to a 
I suppose what you ultimately want to do, I think, with anything creative, you want to get to a level where any point of view on it is purely subjective. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, well, look, ultimately, um, you've, um, you've you've told a fascinating tale, my friend. And um, and oh. thank you for coming. And, and you'll have to come on again when we'll, we'll just we'll just talk movies next time. We'll just um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. we'll just talk to you. That's good because I've already because I've, I've listened to the podcast. I had I've got IMDb open, so. Um, oh right, <laughs> okay. oh it's 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 like that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I just I just I know what it's like. You just want to get into it, and and it, it's it, it it's fascinating with films, isn't it? I mean, listen, I couldn't bloody remember. I still can't remember the name of the. If anyone knows, please let us know the uh, organisation that organised the Oscars. But um, the Motion Picture Academy, I think that's what it is. Um, but yeah, no, I would, I absolutely, I'd love to sit and because I think, and this is why I enjoy listening to the podcast. I really enjoyed um, the ones you've done with Gary. I was trying to think if I've ever actually met Gary. I think I yes, might. Yes, of course you have. I think we've been out. I yes, you have. The, the night, the night of hanging spice. The night of what? Does that ring a bell? Right, I tell you what. I, I, do, do you know what? At this point, let's just. We, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Um, <laughs> we're away to have a conversation. All right, how cheers. And that's what I meant. That's what I mean. That things can get a little. The the lines can get blurred. Uh, when it's two old mates on the phone. Uh, so there you go. We, uh, yeah, we uh, we had a really good time doing that. Well, I, well, I did. Uh, I don't know about Andy, you know. Fuck him. I had a great time. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed listening as well. And, um, and I have now seen the movie, The Immortal, which is um, from the, the Gamora stable. And it was awesome. And I can't wait for Gamora season five. I really can't. That, I, I'm, just to pick up on that as well, um, it, I, what a great programme. Seriously, great programme. As was mentioned many times by myself and Andy, um, it's worth, it is really worth sticking with the, um, the, the subtitles. Um, brilliant cinematography as well. The whole thing is, was, is just, is just beautiful. It really is. Um, well, that's when it isn't hideous. And I mean, like, you know, morally and, you know, it's just, if you're into gangsters and all the rest of it, if you're into any, anything like that, or the mafia, or anything like that, this is something you should watch. It really is Italian Sopranos, but it's not. It's like it, it's like Sopranos meets The Wire. Do you know what I mean? It's like a drama, but it's almost done as a as a documentary style. As like this is what would happen. It's not filmed documentary style. I'm not doing a great job of explaining it. Just fucking watch it. All right. Anyway, um, that was your latest on uh, movie bollocks. Um, actually, and here's a tip from the top, in case I haven't told any of you guys of this before, two seasons of a TV programme called Barry. Now that is something you need to see. It is funny. It's about a hitman trying to get out of the industry. Um, and also he likes metal. And there's a Metallica poster on his wall within, like, you know, the first episode. So straight away you're going, ooh, warm feelings. So give Barry a try. It is superb. Anyway, hope you're all well. Catch you next time when I'm ready to jabber some more movie bollocks.